Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. It's a One Health podcast. We're back. We're better than ever. It's another great week here. Uh, I'm your host, Tori Schmelzer. I'm a fitness enthusiast slash fitness entrepreneur, and my goal each week is to share the knowledge I gather through meeting industry experts with as many people as I can. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, each week we are going to bring on different experts in areas of health. So that could be mental health, physical health, professional health, spiritual health. We don't claim to be experts in any of these subjects. We just know the people that are, and we interview them for the greater good. So thanks again for all the love and support uh, we are getting from our subscribers on all the social media. Make sure you guys do us a favor. Leave us a review on iTunes. Go on that podcast app on your phone. Little purple icon. Everybody has it on their iPhone. Stay up to date on the latest episodes. Subscribe there. Keep sharing it with your friends and your family. Uh, and remember, all of our videos are on our website, onehealthpodcast.com. Uh, also, give us a follow and a like on Facebook there. That really help us, too. Um, shout out to our sponsors, EcoGym and Motivating You. Make sure you go to shop.teammotive, the number eight, the letter N, and the letter U.com. So shop.teammotivateandyou.com. Sign up for your free macro plan, which is a free food plan. Huge value there. A lot of people struggle with nutrition, so um, they pay a lot of money for these food plans. So that is a definitely a gracious thing that they've done for us and our listeners. Um, also, ecogymworldwide.com. Go there. Find a club near you. These guys are going to start popping open clubs over the next few years all around the country. So stay tuned for that. Um, they've offered six weeks for $6 a membership through the end of this month. So just mention that you are a One Health subscriber and you will get that amazing offer. Uh, they're also doing 24-7 access, hyperbaric therapy, red light therapy, healthy organic meals that ship to your doorstep, supplements, smoothies, group fitness classes. They got a lot going on there, so make sure you guys check them out. Uh, so today on the show, we have a team of people for the very first time. We've never had this many people on the show. This is a big day. Um, I have Laura Gerber and her team here. I'm going to turn this over to Laura here. Um, just a quick background on Laura. She is a licensed clinical professional counselor who uses cognitive behavioral approach to treating longstanding personality disorders, as well as other more acute disorders. Uh, she focuses on strength-based, non-pathological approach to treatment, breaking down issues into manageable goals. Did I nail that? Was that, that was perfect. Was that Laura. good? Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So, yeah. So, Laura, um, I don't know if you want to give us a little bit of background on your practice here. Uh, mental health is definitely going to be a common reoccurring theme on the show. I think it's so important that we spread the word um, and help as many people as we can with these issues in our country with mental health. So, yeah, if you want to introduce these guys to kind of let them... So first of all, Tori, thanks for the opportunity. Of course, um, of course. We are associates in psychological and educational services. Um, we came together basically um, because we had the goal of helping folks with mental health, um, not looking at it from a pathological or or an illness or disorder based um, approach, but from health. So that's why I use the term mental health. Um, so. We have three other members of our team here today. Two of our team members couldn't be here today, but um, I'm gonna let the three that are here introduce themselves, and then I will talk a little bit about the two that um, are not here yet. So I will turn it over to... I can go, I guess. I will turn it over to Ben. 
Uh, I'm Dr. Benjamin Michaels. Um, I am a psychotherapist and postdoctoral postdoctoral fellow um, with our organization. Um, and I've worked a lot with adolescents um, and children. And then uh, the other half of my ex experiences come mostly with anxiety, depression, and substance abuse and domestic violence treatment for perpetrators. Cool. I'm Katrina Lydic. I'm a licensed professional counselor and a certified alcohol and drug counselor. I focus on mental health, specifically anxiety and depression disorders and substance abuse disorders. Awesome. My name is Jessica Miller. I am a licensed clinical professional counselor. Um, I have several years experience working with also with domestic violence perpetration and substance abuse as well as um, doing family counseling, couples counseling, um, individual work um, with the full spectrum of mental health concern. Um, so yeah, thanks for having us. So you guys do a little bit of everything, really. So can I introduce the other two that are not here from our team? I guess I'll allow it. Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So we also have um, Shamaya Derek. Uh, she's a psychotherapist specializing in helping her clients identify negative thoughts and behaviors and apply simple interventions to improve their mental health and overall well-being. And then um, we have Dr. Kirk Erickson. He specializes in working with pre-adolescents and adolescents as well as families. Um, he is a licensed clinical psychologist with over 30 years of experience. Um, and, you know, I think our team is pretty strong. We have people from, you know, Different, different backgrounds, different um, uh, areas of expertise, and so I think we have a lot to offer the community. Awesome, so these guys are in the Chicago area. Um, you guys are opening up a new location? Yeah? So we just opened up you a new location. You just opened up the new location. Yes. Okay, gotcha. Um, there, are, there are so many subjects. I guess what I wanna start with, um, I wanna get you guys' opinion on this stuff. So. <laughs> I heard uh, stress and anxiety, what you guys mentioned that, that is um, a common theme that we all experience on a daily basis. Um, give me some tips and pointers, I guess, on how to deal with this stuff so it doesn't boil over. I'm sure you've each had different experiences with each client that you've dealt with. You said adolescence, Ben, too. Mm -hmm. That's a curious subject I want to get into, too, with you. But uh, yeah, I guess, Laura... I guess lead us off here. What are some things that we can work on to kind of alleviate some of this daily stress that we're all experiencing? So I think that, um, you know, if you want to really work on um, daily stressors, it's actually, I like to have people set the tone for their day when, as they get out of bed, and you put your feet on the floor, instead of thinking, oh, I am exhausted, I've got all this ahead of me, is to look for the one thing that you're actually looking forward to during the day. Um, so I call it setting the tone, and that will then definitely um, help alleviate some of um, the stress that you're feeling as you actually get up and get out of bed. I'm going to open it up to you guys to add sort of your tips and techniques. Um, kind of piggybacking off what you were saying, Laura, I think in general, having something to look forward to, you know, this week or, you know, later this month is something that just really helps a lot of people um, work through some of the stresses of everyday life. Um, and then one thing I talk to a lot of clients about in terms of stress and anxiety is just some of that really basic um, self-care of um, developing better practices around sleep and eating and exercise and things like that. Um, sleep hygiene is the biggest one, and that's one of the hardest ones for everybody these days, including myself. 
So, so Ben, I actually, I'm glad you said that because um, one of the things that I think that is really important for us to recognize is a holistic approach to therapy. And so looking at not just the mental health of somebody, but how the mental health affects our physical health, how our nutrition affects our physical health. Um, you know, so, so getting the sleep in, getting the exercise in. And exercise is a hard thing for a lot of people. You know, uh, just even the term scares people off. Mm-hmm. So it's about trying to help people understand that, you don't have to go into exercise thinking I'm going to come out as a bodybuilder, but going in thinking if I go and do a little bit of cardio, you know, that actually is going to give me a little bit more energy during the day. But then matching that up with how do you then fuel your body in the right way? So think, it's all, all of it, spiritual, mental, mm-hmm. everything. Sorry, Jessica. Sorry. Um, I think a lot of that comes from structure within the day and, you know, starting off your day right and creating a good bedtime routine and things of that nature. But I also think that comes from like daily structure and kind of little achievable goals throughout the day. And so when there's a lot of stress and anxiety, especially around daily routine, I think creating structure within your day and also like list and things of that nature, that way things are not overwhelming. A lot of times people feel like they have a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I think creating lists, um, you know, of goals for the day, getting to the gym for, you know, 30 minutes to get on that treadmill or to, you know, do that elliptical or, you know, meeting with friends for self-care to, you know, you know, touch base with the heart versus just the body. Right. And I actually, um, just to jump off of that with structure, I actually have clients, um, one of the very first techniques that I do with clients is talk about calendaring. You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's all up here. It's in my head. You know, I, I know exactly what I need to do for the day. And I actually encourage um, my clients to write it down. And I actually open up my calendar and I show them that I even have written on the calendar. Here's when I'm going to the gym. Here's when I'm going to the grocery store. You know, here's my day at work. Mm-hmm. And even my to-do list for that day is on the calendar because it's so important to just be able to see that and then check those things off as you go. But then not to get lost in your to-do list. If you didn't complete everything, it's okay. Move it to the next day. I'm so guilty of that. I will have a million different things that get piled on me. Like in the matter of 20 minutes, 20 items that get piled on me that I got to take care of. And I have found if I actually write it down, it doesn't look like that much. You know, we all think we all like. Um, exacerbate these things and we think oh my god I have there's so much going on if you really take the time to write it down you look at it you're like oh that's not that bad and it's actually Tori the perfect thing to do too before you go to bed um, to get everything out of your head in order to encourage good sleep hygiene is to take take out a piece of paper write down the things that are in your head the things that you think that you have to do tomorrow Um, and then if you do wake up in the middle of the night with some of those thoughts I always encourage people to keep a pad of paper and a pen by their bed. Write those down. Even if you don't turn on lights, don't put it into your phone, you know, just write it down. Even if you can't read it in the morning, because just the ritual of getting it out of your head, you know, and on paper helps you to relax and go back to sleep. And in the morning you get up and it's, it's there, even if you can't read it then it wasn't really that important. (laughs) Well, and I think the important thing with all of this is balance, right? So figuring out what is important to every person, what are their values? So, you know, are are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you a student? Do you want to go to the gym? How much time a week do you want to devote to doing that and also caring for yourself and just finding that balance? Absolutely. And I think one of the biggest things for uh, managing stress is one thing that um, comes up a lot is learning to 
be forgiving of yourself because it's really great and to write down lists and have schedules, but then people, myself included, will get behind and say, oh, I didn't get this done, I didn't get that done, then they start beating themselves up, and then it kind of turns into this, um, I don't know, spiral, and it becomes detrimental. So, Absolutely. Yeah, tomorrow's always a fresh start. So if you didn't accomplish something that you thought you'd be able to or you wanted to, you know, tomorrow you can always start start anew. So I think knowing that, you know, one thing that, you know, on that list per se that didn't get done, you you know, tomorrow, there's always tomorrow and tomorrow can be a better day. And tomorrow, you know, it's prioritizing, you know, what you would like to get accomplished during the day and what's going to alleviate the most stress. I want to go back to something that Katrina said, because I think that balance Mm -hmm. is extremely important. So um, I think we should talk a little bit more about, you know, what, what, what does balance really look like, you know? Um, And that is, is as you're looking at your day, you know, if you can't get to the gym or if you don't eat right that day, if you didn't get enough sleep, it's okay, mm-hmm. you know, because we do have to figure out the balance. I think that, Katrina, you hit on something really well, right? Like we all have multiple roles. Mm-hmm. We're an employee. We are, some people are parents. Some people are, you know, children taking care of elderly parents or they're in that in-between stage where they're taking care of their kids and their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, some people are pet parents. Some people have multiple jobs. So I think you're, you you know, you kind of really hit the nail on the head there with the balance. Yeah. And it's easy to feel guilty taking time for yourself if you are, especially if you're doing multiple roles, you know, and you're taking care of other people, that guilt comes in. So it's tough. Absolutely. Balance. I love it. Mm -hmm. Um, So one other thing that I touched on too, we had a, I had a relationship therapist come on a couple weeks back and we talked about divorce that's a huge topic i come from a family of divorce most people do nowadays unfortunately um so ben i want to kind of get your perspective you said you work with a lot of children mm-hmm. in this stuff um what are you doing what sort of advice i know you're probably giving them a ton of advice this is a real general statement here but what are some things that you touch on to help these children deal with what's going on. And I'm sure different ages, they're at different stages and they have different mentalities. What are some common things that you're kind of helping them with? Um, well, one thing that comes up a lot in terms of working with children is a lot of, a lot of work when you work with kids and adolescents is a lot of work is about half the work or if not more is with the parents. Um, and so a lot of that is helping the parents develop good habits around um, separation and divorce. And it's, you know, those basic kinds of th- the things that, I don't know, people that are trained in it think of basic, but like, don't talk about finances. Don't be, don't uh, be disparaging of the other parent. You know, don't focus so much on, oh, this is your life now, this is different. Just focus on letting the child still be a child and have them go about their daily life and what they need to and help them recognize that, you know, Yes, this might be difficult or it's a, d- a change for them, but as much as possible, uh, maintaining structure in their lives because children really need structure. And for the children, it's about helping them in an age-appropriate way understand that um, divorce has no has no bearing on uh, parents' feelings about their child, and although it may feel that way. Right. One of the things that I do, Ben, too, is um, 
talk a lot about the the best interests of the child with the parents. I agree with you. A lot of the work is with the parents and talk about co-parenting. You know, that just because you might not be able to live with your spouse anymore, um, you know, your relationship can shift in a way that still um, promotes health and wellness for, you know, your children. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the big things is communication. I think with divorced parents, um, the levels of communication actually go up more so than maybe in, that was actually in the home before the divorce happened because now we're coordinating thing we're coordinating pickups and drop-offs and you know who's gonna pick Timmy up from the baseball game and who's gonna take him there and you know things that came natural when in the same household is now gonna be different um, so I think promoting communication not only effective communication between the parent but also with the child having a voice in the situation because oftentimes we think oh you know children don't have opinion their children don't have feelings surrounding it oh we keep him out of it so he'll be fine you know children need that avenue that safe environment where they can communicate and whether that's with a loved one or with a parent who's open to honest feedback from their child or with a professional you know to give them you know a third party that doesn't have a biased opinion on the situation I think I think you guys have a tall task sometimes and you touched on it right there well a lot of times what I hear and what I see is these parents they're they're not talking to each other when it gets to that point there's no communication going on in the household so you guys literally have to reteach them how to communicate to work through this process of divorce I think that's huge um, and that gets lost in the shuffle really Absolutely, and that's why, you know, talking about what's in the best interest of their children, because usually, it, this isn't in all cases, but most cases, the parents really believe in um, the best interest of their children. And so they're actually, that's sort of the hook, is if, if we can start talking about this as the best interest of the children, we can start to open up the line of communication. And then another general thing that's really helpful is to help each parent in the situation to learn to let go because of what how the other parent does their their own half of parenting because a lot of divorced parents will get oh my husband does this my wife does that and they don't like that but at the end of the day the individual parents can't change how the other the other separated partner parents and if there's not something they don't like all they can do is provide the best environment they can and because it's at the end of the day it's a waste of energy Mm -hmm. for parents to be wrapped up in how somebody else is doing it unless of course it's abusive or neglectful or something like that yeah no that, that's really good um one other thing i wanted to touch on too is um i know we're kind of bouncing around here kind of all over the place but i have so many questions <laughs> i'm like literally genuinely interested in this stuff so we can always come back <laughs> i've had um yeah we might have to do that I have had friends and family members that deal with depression, okay? Now, there is this stigma, and I don't know if it's more male side versus female side, but especially on the male side, uh, we don't talk about our feelings, right? So if somebody is depressed, they tend to just walk through the day, oh, I have to internalize this, I have to deal with this myself. How do you guys chip away at that wall you guys have people that come, I'm sure you have people that come through the door, especially males. I, I don't know. I'm just speaking generally. I know that's not everybody, but 
how do you chip through that wall and get somebody to start kind of letting this out a little bit and making them realize that like it's okay to share what you're feeling you know so jessica take it away <laughs> yeah this is her um so the interesting piece about this is it really starts off very basic it's identifying the various feelings as a society we have uh, a way of teaching our young men and boys to only express really two feelings it's either anger or it's happiness um, and so you would be surprised how little um, men groups of men have you know knowledge on the various emotions that we can have you know we can be uncomfortable we can be sad we can be hurt we can be disgusted we can be um, tired we can be hungry we can there's so many a vast you know list of feelings and we can be depressed we could um, we could be angry um, but most of the time the feelings that we're having are usually expressed through anger um, and that's what we see on the outside. So really getting individuals in touch with those feelings. And then once you get them in touch with those feelings, they're able to express it. We see it a lot actually in um, working with domestic violence perpetration. Um, people only express their feelings through violence or through anger um, and really teaching them to take a step back and look at themselves and say, look, I'm feeling this way not you always do this to me or this is always happening um, and so much like with domestic violence and depression it's about figuring out what those feelings are and figuring out a safe environment to express them and in a healthy way um, because we find individuals express them in unhealthy ways through anger or even maladaptive coping skills such as substance abuse and things of that nature and that leads me off onto two uh, sub points I guess um, that idea of learning to recognize what's behind that anger that a lot of people feel um, also comes up uh, a lot in couples counseling mm -hmm. because you get that same conflict that conflictual kind of relationship people and it the anger is often about being hurt or feeling neglected or feeling insecure and it's people don't always like recognize that's what's actually going on um, and then one other thing is I really love the movie Inside Out I don't know if you saw that or is that the the Pixar movie? The Pixar movie with animated emotions. I am so mad at myself. I'm like, oh my god, I gotta watch that. That seems so funny. And I've only watched like a, a minute clip of it, but I was dying laughing because we can all relate to all of that. In that movie. It's really funny, and I've watched the behind the scenes of it, and they actually worked with psychiatrists and neurologists in the development really? of it. A lot of it is really kid friendly psychology stuff, and it's really pretty spot on in terms of learning to understand what's going on. Um, and I don't know, it's a good place that I usually t can use. I can show a clip from that and I'll use that and help, you help use that to kind of bring it down into a really simple, easy to understand and sometimes comical way. That's good. Which actually, Ben, is a good um, jumping point to talk about the fact that we do, in therapy, we use so many different tools and techniques. So it's not just about talking, it's about using movie clips. It's about doing sand tray therapy. It's about doing play therapy with kids. So we incorporate so many different things into our, um, you know, our daily work with different individuals. We really tailor our uh, therapy to meet the needs of everybody. And so, I mean, I know for myself in my office, I have crayons and paper and um, coloring books, and I have a little doll that you know you can do the doll's hair or makeup or you know whatever you would like to do. 
Um, we, we actually have a little mini gym in our office as well. We, um, I, we have board games. Um, and at some point, we will be adding a sand tray table because it, that is actually an amazing um, tool or technique to help people who, who can't necessarily verbalize their feelings, but they can actually act out the feelings into sand tray, into the sand tray. I have never heard of that before. I haven't mentioned that about Slora, but I actually have a sand tray and some toys already. Oh, look at perfect. Ben's been, he's been holding out on you oh, this perfect. whole time. Bring how it dare, on in, Ben. How dare you? <laughs> Um, how do you guys? Okay, so let's say I have, I have a friend who has. We're, we're still on this depression topic. Let's say I have a friend who has depression, and I'm trying to give them advice. This has happened to me before. I'm trying to give them advice. You know, the stereotypical: the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, you know, just be grateful about what you have in life. Nothing that I say gets through to them in any way. From I'm obviously not a qualified professional. What are some things that I could just try, little things, to maybe try to get them, their perspective turned around a little bit? Is there anything I can even say to get through to them at all? Uh, actually, that's I had forgotten my point on Inside Out. That's actually one of them. Is one of the biggest moments in that movie is the importance of sadness and the place for sadness in somebody's mental health. We're so focused as a society on, on being happy. But... Um, there's a really key role of sadness. And if you, or if anybody just keeps saying, oh, but this is good in your life, or that is good, it, it invalidates, and it makes people feel like, oh, I, I shouldn't feel this way, and it makes them feel worse. So instead, a lot of what a lot of therapy is, and a lot of what people, which the best thing you can do, is to really validate somebody, and say, I'm really sorry that, you know, you're having a hard time finding a job. You know, I, I you know, I'm sorry that, you know, your partner broke up with you, right? It's, I remember when I've been in that situation, it felt really crummy. And sometimes it's 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 okay to actually like let people know to let the sadness wash over them, sit with sit with the sadness, and even you as their you know as their friend, go ahead and cry with them, you know, um, just sit sit there and and allow them to uh, get those feelings out without you feeling um, or showing them that you're feeling uncomfortable because you may or may not be feeling uncomfortable, but you know, allow them to um, experience that and experience it with you. Got it. No, I've always, I've literally dealt with that before. It's like no matter what I say, it goes, it goes in one ear and right out the other. But I had that approach where it was, oh, be happy, be happy, be happy. But okay, that's good. That's good advice. Um, we touched on substance abuse. You mentioned that. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I'm really, really curious here. How substance abuse, so they're obviously dealing with a thousand other things in their life that's driving them into, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever it may be. How do you get, is this a chemical thing in their brain that you need to work on shifting or is this all emotional, mental thing that you need to chip away at, break through, where do you where do you begin when somebody comes to you and says I have this addiction I can't I literally can't stop right now how do you uncover that Katrina well I think a good thing is to kind of look at the history of the addiction so when did it start is it genetic was it you know did it happen during a loss or some significant distress in life so just kind of going back to the beginning and figuring out a different way to cope with what they're going through because right now their coping skill is to 
few substances, whatever substance it may be. So if you take that away and don't replace it with anything, it's not going to be successful. So just talking about, you know, validating what they're going through, discussing the different stressors in life, um, trying to figure out how to do that without substances. And that's, that can be a very long process. Um, But, you know, it's not, it, it, it can happen. And we have to, I mean, we also have to figure out, right, Katrina, if it's, if this is purely a substance abuse issue versus a mental health issue or both. Right. right. And so we have to be able to, um, we have to be able to make that assessment and determine um, what are we truly dealing with? Are we truly dealing with just a chemical dependency or, or a mental health issue that led to the chemical dependency okay. or both? And so we may actually be having to do subsequent, I mean, um, complementary treatment. What's interesting is is that um, evidence shows that around three-fourths or around 75% of all individuals with a substance use issue actually experience a mental health issue. Um, what we do know is the vast majority of individuals who, um, who experiment with substances are typically between the ages of like 16 and 24, you know, around the tail end of high school or even in high school is actually becoming younger now um, and into college years. Um, so during this time, a lot of um, mental health issues or mental health um, concerns actually start coming to fruition, um, you know, such as mania and um, any, you know, disordered with any active psychosis or things of that nature. Um, and so the aspect of substance abuse is that it numbs those, you know, external or internal stimuli. It's numbing all of that. Um, so it's there's this you know a time frame there that is super interesting when it comes to substance use and mental health and um, I think Katrina touched on something that was really important you know trauma what was an experience that happened um, and um, addressing that sometimes experiences lead to substance use mm-hmm. and people think that it's an automatic switch like oh just stop the use just mm-hmm. stop it put them down put it down step away stop it. It's not as easy as that. You have to replace it with with better coping skills. Mm -hmm. And substance abuse affects development so much. Mm -hmm. You have to look at it developmentally, too, Mm -hmm. what was going on. I was just going to say that exact Mm -hmm. thing, actually. Um, One of the things that's uh, always a factor that comes into it is family's loved ones. You know, if someone's coming with substance abuse, their their partner might call or, you know, parent might call and say, oh, this, that, and the other, and why why is my loved one doing this? Why are they doing that? Mm -hmm. And Katrina's point about development is one thing that just happens in a lot of people is because there's that numbing effect. Um, emotionally, a lot of people stop developing emotionally when they start using. Uh, I had a client a couple years ago who was in his 50s, and he had used for 30 years like alcohol and cocaine and wow. lots of things on a daily basis. And when I talked to him in his mental health sessions, he sounded like a 20-year-old. What am I going to do with my life? Who am I? You know, how am I going to find a partner? He sounded like he was in his twenties, and very much reacting like he was in his twenties still. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that's important to keep in mind for loved ones um, that their loved one might be operating on a different level than you're expecting them to. And the identity plays such a large role. So if you have been using for thirty years and you stop using, that's going to be a completely different identity. So it's working through that process and learning how to establish new friendships and. communicate differently with your family members and loved ones and just kind of figure out who you are as a non-user 
Well, what I think is interesting that you touched upon is friends group, right? When you've been an active user of whatever substance for a significant amount of time, your friends group oftentimes is encompassed by that substance. So when you were getting sober or in recovery, active in recovery, your you know support group kind of goes out because your support group actually was really looking to keep you you know somewhat involved in the substance or that's how you guys came together and so finding new friends group is super important and finding um a friends group with um with the same goals in mind and sometimes that can be difficult and especially if individuals are coming into their um, sobriety in the early 20s because the culture that we have is so much so geared around substances, um, early, you know, early 20s individuals have a difficult time finding, you know, like-minded friends groups. So also family understanding that, you know, that's going to be a big part of it as well. And that's another double dose of the struggle of finding a new sober identity is, yes, they're having a hard time making new friends because they're not hanging out with their friends that we're using, but then also there might have been some trust broken with non-using friends and family, so they feel even more alone, and that makes the recovery process even more difficult. What do you guys do when you've spent months with someone working through substance abuse? And I know you guys are human. Um, what do you do when you do all this work, and then you hear that they relapse? What's your initial reaction? How do you disconnect yourself emotionally are you guys tied in with that too are you devastated when you hear about that again well so tori relapse is an expectation so, so you guys just yeah. expect it going into yeah. it right and we actually we actually oftentimes predict for our clients that there's going to be a relapse so that that they are aware and we try and work on a relapse prevention plan interesting i've always wondered that you hear people celebrities well just because they're in the news a relapse like 17 times or something like that. The like, average individual will relapse at seven to nine times. And well, so I did not know that. Wow. The, the small side end of it, like one or two times, and, and they stop cold turkey. And then you're going to have other people who are on the 17, 18, 19, and mm -hmm. they just keep trying. Well, and it can be therapeutic to discuss what happened, what was triggering them, why they relapsed. And it can give you insight into what they're really struggling with. And okay it happened, validate that it happened, and then kind of work on how do we prevent this thing, like Laura was saying, the relapse prevention plan. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. I've always wondered that, it's, too. It's interesting. I have a client, I had a client, previous client, who had a significant, had like a year under his belt and relapsed, um, and relapsed in the way that we had been talking about and expecting, and it took him a couple of weeks to really get out of the funk of being guilt-ridden and um, down on himself because of the relapse. And to the best of my knowledge, he's three years sober. Okay, and now. that's something yeah. too that we do talk about, not just with the clients, but if we can engage family members, yeah. we, we talk about this with the family too, so that there is not um, maybe a sense of, you know, disappointment or blaming, mm -hmm. but that, you know, this is what we do see. So how do we help all of you um, prepare for you know this happening well and also prepare for the recovery process and not necessarily from relapse but in general of sobriety you know you know their loved one may need 
an environment in which there isn't any type of substance. So when we're having that family function on Thanksgiving and we're all getting together and there's usually four bottles of wine on the table for eight people, you know, really maybe reevaluating as a family unit how they want to support their loved one in recovery and what that looks like. I think that that's, especially around the holidays, is a big concern for individuals who are in recovery and striving for sobriety and what that looks like. Um, and a lot of individuals think that, well, their substance of choice was, was pot or cannabis or something else and not alcohol. But that term, slippery slope, alcohol on the table, you know, leads to, um, you know, potentially could lead to more use. Got it. And the, I think one of the toughest things for a lot of people, I don't know if anyone else can chime in, but about um, how important it is, especially with partners, mm-hmm. um, if a partner is abusing or just a casual user, even just bringing them in on the conversation because that just having it in the house can make it really difficult. Mm-hmm. Nice. Are we doing enough as a country to help this mental health epidemic? Are you guys all going to tell me no? Right. We're all going to tell you no. So, Silence. So, so me as an individual and the average person, what can we do on a local level, on a state level, to help with this stuff? Is it going to these fundraising events and donating money? Is it volunteering time? What are some things that like I can do or my friends can do locally that can help push this up through, you know, legislation and all this. Like, what can we do? So I think, you know, part of it is how we sort of started today, right? And that's talking about taking the stigma away from this and talking about this is a health issue. You know, this isn't, instead of like making this um, a negative or a pejorative issue, let's talk about this as this is part of our health and well-being. Um, And if people really understood how the entire body works in conjunction with you know every system in our body then i think we would start to look at things from a different perspective you know we don't we don't walk around and um you know or or most people don't walk around and look at people with you know diabetes or heart disease and think "Ooh, i need to stay away from them or i'm not gonna you know support them or put any money into that so we need to start looking at that with you know mental health as well well, I also feel like there is a there's a stigma that's put out, you know, whether it's social media or media, that someone who falls into this category, you know, with this mental health concern or, um, you know, an identity within the mental health population, that they will, um, something bad will happen. The vast majority of individuals who experience, um, you know, depression, anxiety, um, any slew of mental health, um, they will they're not going to be violent towards anyone. There's no violent, you know, violence concern. The risk there is very minimal. Most individuals are more likely to harm themselves. So we have this stigma that society has put on individuals with mental health concerns that, like Laura was saying, that they're going to somehow harm someone or somehow it's going to be get passed from one person to the other. Um, and it's not the case. Well, and this reminds me of the example we talked about earlier with the friend this is a really good place for us to learn how to communicate with each other and encourage people to seek help and Mm -hmm. you know reduce that stigma of okay you're feeling depressed that's okay validate and then also hey maybe you should seek help Mm -hmm. and I wouldn't judge you for that and I would support you in that 
And I think one thing that's really good for a lot of people to understand is, oh, why can't I talk to a parent or a loved one or a friend? And the reason that therapy is different and important is there isn't that connection. There's no emotional, like, immediate... No, there's an emotional... Uh, sorry, I misspoke. There's not that same um, emotional investment in the person. So, like, if, let's say you're working with somebody and they cheat on their partner, like you're not in their family. You're not like, oh my gosh, how could you do this to your partner? There's that separation that allows somebody to be more open and without worrying about being judged. Right, there's more um, objectivity. And, um, you know, I, 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 I do think though, some of the things that you were talking about, Tori, is we do need to talk to our um, local and state and federal um, representatives about the need for um, more funding and mental health um, services. You know, and I know personally, like when I'm on social media and somebody posts something, oh, it's Suicide Prevention Week, you know, how many of my friends are actually going to read this and post? I always post those things because I want people to see that that there is help out there, that these um, these topics are so important and there is there is help. I mean, every single one of us sitting at this table at some point in our lives have felt some sadness. We felt some anxiety. You know, everybody experiences that and there's there's no shame in it. So we need to take the shame away. It's so hard to just the gov government in general, everybody has their own agenda and they're looking out for numero uno right here themselves right so to get in and get your message across to them hey you should really support this is got to be damn near impossible well but here's so i used to work in community mental health and we used to go every may to springfield and we would take um some of our clients from the mental health um the community mental health center with us and we would go and knock on all the legislators doors you know we would um go to this big rally one of the th so so that's part of the way to get our message across. The other part is every single person that is in our um, in our state Congress and also in the federal Congress, every single person, even probably sitting around this table too, right, has been touched by a mental health issue somewhere, either with a friend, a family member, a story that you've heard. So if you can find somebody who is in a position to help. Um, change a law or help get extra funding that was touched by substance abuse, domestic violence, mental health issues. Those are the people we need to start with. Which is one of the reasons why I started this podcast so we could get this message out. And you guys are so right. You, you, each one of you touched on the fact that it's all connected. Your physical health, your mental health, your spiritual health. That's literally where the name came from. It literally is all one. Um, and if you ignore the mental side of things, your body's biology is going to change and it's gonna spill over as much as you can fight it off, it's going to spill over into your physical areas of your life. I totally agree. Um, suicide, you guys, each one of you mentioned that a little bit here and there. Um, I think it's so important to get this message out, talking to you guys, experts in the industry, that um, it's okay. The suicide rates, I feel like, are they climbing each year? Or have they leveled up? Do you guys know those numbers? Like on a national level? 
I don't know the numbers, but I actually think that we're talking about suicide more, so we're hearing about it more. Um, but everybody needs to know there is a national suicide prevention hotline. Um, you know, there for any of these things, there's the national suicide hotline. There's rain for rape, incest, um, survivors network. You know, so there's there's there are hotlines and places that you can call for 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 help no matter what. I mean, there's even, you know, you could call the Depression and um, Bipolar uh, Association, um, the National Alliance for Mental Illness, and every one of those places can get you to the right uh, support person. And I think it's also important to note that there are some, there are emerging things where there are um, text-based ones. I don't know any off the top of my head, but I've heard of them. I can always forget to write them down, where there are text-based ones, ones you can do with live chat with some organizations. So if talking on the phone isn't your thing, like that doesn't preclude you from reaching out to some sort of immediate helpline that can help you uh, get hooked up with a clinician. What do you do if somebody comes to you and says, as, as like a friend, you know, what if somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm having these really messed up thoughts, do I immediately call one of those hotlines? Because I actually ran into this situation um, I don't want to get into the exact details, but there was somebody, um, that we knew that, uh, came forward and said some of these things. And the thing that we were worried about was, um, calling the police or whatever. So we called the suicide hotline and the guy's like, Hey, well, somebody should go over and do a wellness check on them. Our main concern is we do this. We send the police over to their house and that gets them even more upset it, is that the case? Is that the approach you should take, or should you, should we have should you try to find somebody close to them and their family or a loved one to go over and do that instead of getting the police involved? I think it really, you know, first of all, we have to take um, the threat of suicide uh, very seriously. Yeah. So you know, I, I do think that it's always important to have somebody do a well-being check, um, whether it is a family member or the police. Oftentimes, it's the family who's calling us already because they've already checked in on their loved one, and they know that they need to get their loved one help. And a lot of times, sure, if the police do come, you know, knocking on your door or busting your door down or whatever it might be, if that escalates the situation a little bit, in the long run, by getting this person to the emergency room, getting them the needed help, the whatever that person was thinking in that moment typically will will go sort of those feelings will diminish and you'll be able to repair your relationships. I always tell people don't worry about the 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 relationship that you have with that person in this moment. The most important thing is that person's health and well-being. Anything else can be repaired. I also think that when you know when our police are actually informed ahead of time, hey, this is a well you know wellness check. Um, family is concerned that they do go in with the understanding that this is a sensitive situation and that I don't think they're going to come in guns blazing like SWAT machine, you know, SWAT team and knock down the door unless someone's barricaded themselves in, of course. Um, but I do think that most individuals would approach the situation with the understanding that they don't want it to be any bigger, you know, make a scene within someone's home or within someone's environment. I think they do try to be respectful. Right, and I think over the last several years, when I was working in community mental health, I was on our emergency services team. And within within those six years that I worked in community mental health, we worked 
very closely with the local police departments and the social workers at the local police departments to talk about that sensitivity training. I was gonna I was gonna ask you, are most of these officers trained enough in your opinion? So I think, think that there's there's still a ways to go. Okay. But I think that, you know, um, because there is so much attention um, in the media on suicide and the reaction of law enforcement when they when they come in, I think that that there is much more training that is occurring now than maybe ten years ago. But I think that for the most part, there is there has been training and there is sensitivity around um, suicide and suicide prevention, and we're continuing to move in the right direction. Good, yeah, that's such an important topic, and um, a lot of times it isn't talked about in the right way so that's kind of why i wanted to to bring that up and get you guys's opinion on that so um as we wrap up here i mean we could keep going you guys have to come back maybe one or two of you or three or all of you i really don't care i mean we could right right, we've got more on our team so we could literally devote five more episodes (laughs) to this i i guarantee more than happy to come back i would love that i would love that um as we wrap up though i i do want to commend you guys for the work that you're doing um you know in my industry we do a lot of work on healing the body but a lot of times i wish we could work on healing their mind first so we could break through these barriers and these obstacles of people getting in shape getting to a healthier place so again i commend you on the work you guys are doing it's a lot more difficult than what we do on a daily basis um so, Tori, just jumping off of that really quick, one of the yeah. things that I've mentioned to you in the past um, and hopefully will be able to continue to work with our team um, and with you um, on sort of like a, for lack of a better term, like a one-stop shop where, you know, people are trained in working on the mental health along with the physical health, along with the spiritual health, along with the nutritional health, and myself personally not only do I have my PhD in clinical psychology and I work from the mental health aspect, but I'm also currently working toward becoming a personal trainer to bring that piece in. And then I'm gonna be going for my yoga certification um, and then working with you know, a nutritionist. So I think it's all, everything is so interrelated. And that idea of having like different ways of approaching your own therapy, I think it's a really good thing for everyone to know was like a closing thing for me at least is that finding a therapist is a little bit different for each person. And so a lot of times we'll have people say, oh, I've been to a therapist, I I didn't have a good experience, I didn't like it. And I kind of think of it as kind of like finding a gym or finding a partner, you know. There are different things about each clinician that you may or may not like. You might not just like their mannerisms, the way they speak, or just because you don't like one clinician doesn't mean therapy is not for you. Um, and people have different focuses, like Dr. Gerber, she has, you know, you're doing the health and personal fitness. Um, my dissertation was on media, and so I used a lot of TV shows and, and music and things like that to help bring metaphors into things. Which is important, too, why what, one of the reasons that we actually created Associates in Psychological and Educational Services is because we brought a team of people together that have different backgrounds, that do have different um, personality traits, characteristics, whatever. We all get along together, but um, we we recognize the fact that I might not be the right p- therapist for somebody, but Katrina might be the right therapist for that person. And so 
she's right there in my office. So I might say to somebody on their very first session with me, um, this isn't about me. This is about your personal journey. And if you don't feel that I'm the right therapist, please, you've got to let me know because I have other people that I could um, refer you to that might be a better fit. That's such a good point. Uh, we need to trademark this because if there's any other health clubs out here listening, I, I seriously do think if there was a way to do the therapy first, like an initial consultation with them first to figure out what's really going on up here that's preventing them people from getting to a healthier place, I think that would help our success rate a whole bunch. You know what I mean? Because we can, I can talk at you and spit all the health facts, all the fitness facts. I can tell you what workouts to do. But if you're not absorbing any of it and you're not motivated to get here, we can't help you. Right. That's why partnerships are so great. Yeah. We're going to, we're on to something. Okay. I mean, you and I always talk (laughs) about this. We do. We talk about it all the time. (laughs) Um, I would like one piece of advice on how to, I guess, live a better life um, from each one of you guys to kind of end the show here. We've touched on a lot of subjects here. I'm sure there's a Rolodex of things we could go through and you could give me probably 27 tips. But from each one of you over your years of working in this industry, what are maybe a couple of things each one of you want to pass along or a couple of facts you guys want to pass along to the listeners out there? So I guess um, for me over the years, and I practice this too, is I'll go back to what I said at the very beginning of our conversation, and that is, I get up every morning and I set the tone for my day. And then at the end of the day, I look back up on my day and I think of one, of one, maybe two things that I was grateful for during the day. So I start the day setting the tone with a positive perspective and I end the day. Even if my day had lots of roadblocks in it, I look for the one thing that actually was you know, good throughout the day so that I end the day with not a derailment of my day, but an actual uh, gratitude. I love that. My advice would be to just do what feels right for you. No matter what other people say, no matter what, you know, advice other people give you, yeah, you can take that into consideration. But if, you know, you need to do at the end of the day what feels right internally. Mine is um, more so about not chasing happiness Um, because, uh, one of the things that jumped out most to me when I was uh, learning about psychology and different approaches was that the reality is life is hard. There's lots of things that are difficult. And those really great, happy moments that you see on social media, vacations, getting married, having kids born, those are few and far between. So learning to Amen. be comfortable <laughs> and ride the wave of discomfort in everyday life is how you're really going to feel better. I guess my... I love all their takeaways, but um, (laughs) my takeaway would be, you know, building a support network and whatever that support network looks like is unique to you. You know, it could be collective friends. It could be family. It could be both. It could be a therapist. It could be um, a trainer. It could be all the above, but figuring out, you know, what's important to you and what makes you feel good and um, how to connect those and really build a support team around you to kind of get you through life struggles and day-to-day stress and things of that nature those are excellent those are amazing thanks for sharing guys uh so again thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day i know you guys are busy people you're busy helping people um so thank you i I really from the bottom of my heart thank you for being on the show and, and sharing 
Thanks Thank for you. having us. Thank you. Of course. Um, again, special shout out to our sponsors, Team Motivate and You and Eco Gym. Remember, all of our videos, all of our news, everything we have going on is on onehealthpodcast.com. Go on there, check it out. You guys have a great week. Thanks a lot for listening.